Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It's hard to believe we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. We are highlighting adaptations from Season 9 over at our Originals page, thenextreel.com slash originals. That's the site where listeners can purchase the source material for all of our adapted film discussions. We had a big Robin Hood series this season, looking at nine different versions on screen. Many were likely adapted from Howard Pyle's The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood, including Douglas Fairbanks in Robin Hood, The Adventures of Robin Hood, Disney's Robin Hood, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, and the 1991 Robin Hood, and Ridley Scott's Robin Hood. Robin and Marion was specifically based on the ballad, The Jest of Robin Hood. And we really don't have too much to say about Robin and the Seven Hoods. We talked Dead Ringers for our David Cronenberg series adapted from Barry Wood and Jack Geisland's novel, Twins. Have you checked out that show? You know, I haven't, but I've heard great things. Two comedies from our Steve Martin series were adaptations, Pennies from Heaven from the BBC series, and The Lonely Guy from the book by Bruce J. Friedman. The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas was part of our Colin Higgins series, adapted from the Broadway musical. Spike Lee brought us Black Klansman from Ron Stallworth's memoir. And we looked at a trio of John Le Carey adaptations, The Spy Who Came In From the Cold, The Little Drummer Girl, and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Plus, all three movies in our Agnieszka Holland series were based on books, Europa Europa, In Darkness, and Spore. La Caja Fall and its remake, The Birdcage, both came from Jean Poiré's original play. We also talked about Arsenic and Old Lace and Charade in our Gary Grant series. All of these were based on other material, and it is all available on our Originals page, thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book purchased supports the podcast. Get the full list of adaptations we've covered and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash originals. 
I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. <laughs> Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Scanners is over. So don't pop a vessel. I would like to scan all of you in this room one at a time. I must remind you that the scanning experience is usually a painful one, sometimes resulting in nosebleeds, earaches, stomach cramps, nausea, sometimes other symptoms of a similar nature. At this point, I'd like to call for volunteers. The Mind Force. Scanners. Their thoughts can kill. All right, Andy. Uh, scanners. We're continuing our David Cronenberg series with Scanners. Uh, this was an interesting rewatch for me. It's been a long time, and I feel like my memory played tricks on me in a lot of ways. So I'm excited to hear what you thought of it this time around. How did it hit you? As you may or may not recall from our last conversation. Now, let me be clear. Probably not. <laughs> I had never seen this movie before. Right. Okay. So this was my first watching of the film Scanners. And I knew that a head blew up in the film. I will say, I actually thought more heads were going to blow up. I thought it was a thing throughout the whole film. Yeah. Turns out, not a thing. Turns out it was just one. But forget all that. I freaking loved this movie. <laughs> I had so much fun with it. I... It has problems. There are issues that we will talk about, but it, it hit a thing for me that I think I've now come to realize. I really, really enjoy movies that deal with mysterious shadow organizations uh, or just mysterious organizations in general. And I really had such a great time with this movie. I was like, I, I, and I kept writing notes like, oh, this is so dumb. I can't believe this happened, blah, blah, blah. But oh my God, <laughs> this is so cool. Like, I loved it. I absolutely love this movie. It was such a fun watch and uh, definitely one I want to watch again. I'm glad to hear you say that. I think it hit you in just the the right way. Uh, it, it didn't hit me the same way. And um, I, I feel like it's a movie that came off the rails in a number of places, some more than others. And uh, it, it was difficult to redeem for, for me. And uh, it, it felt like... Um, you know, one of the one of the questions that we ask and that you ask every week about Cronenberg and his maturing as a filmmaker, there are some areas in this film that I feel like as a in, in terms of addressing the big question where I, I feel like he is uh, attempting to trust the audience more in the way he handles the the narrative part. Uh, and he's obviously having a lot of fun, just great glee with some of the the horror imagery. You know, we'll talk about the head and, in, in, you know, I assume shortly. But in the process, I feel like he may have let loose the reins. And as a result of some of the difficulties of getting this movie made and getting it actually, you know, shot, the challenges that they they clearly had, um, you know, shooting, getting sets built and, and the things that we'll talk about getting it made. And, and I could feel that in this watch. It felt clumsy and sloppy to me uh, in a way that even some of the earlier films did not. Uh, and and so I had a, I had a harder time with it. And 
you know, we have this, I, the, the thing that, that keeps coming back is this whole sort of building the team, the, the social outcasts become the, you know, the powered individuals and they're going up against the deep state, right? The big monolithic corporate mysterious industrial complex. And so they, they have these powers. And I have to say, the powers are stupid. <laughs> the powers make them do stupid things with their faces. It is like the least threatening performative power play that I have ever seen. And I think making a dude like Michael Ironside do what he does to his own face to look like he's exuding psycho power is cruel and unusual punishment, both for him and for those of us watching. Wow. Okay. Interesting. I I totally loved all of that. I'm like, this is so much fun watching this scanner duel. Like I had a blast watching it. And he he it's it's really like the the facial contortions really kick in in that last duel. Uh oh, you know, yeah. it's not quite so extreme like when he's killing the guy uh via the head explosion earlier in the film. Well, okay, I'll like agree. That. It's not quite so extreme, but it's extreme. Maybe not quite so extreme. It's extremish. This is an interesting situation where I think actors do things because they have a director who they trust, who allows them to try things and explore. And these actors are really kind of putting it out there because it is a really, if you think about it, if you step back and go, okay, I want you to imagine that you're thinking really hard about like taking over this other person's brain and possibly killing them. Like, that's a real, like, what do you do as an actor? Okay. And then you're like, you know, you're just looking at somebody. It's like, I always imagine this, like, how silly is it um, when, like, with the, with the wizards in Harry Potter, when they're all casting these silly spells and things like that on set, you know, how silly is that? Yes. Or like when you watch the behind the scenes of like the Marvel movies, when you have these, these guys like Thor, who he, like, he has to run and jump, like he's taking off uh, with his hammer or something. And, and, but you see the behind the scenes and he just kind of does this little jump and then lands and has a chuckle because it's like, well, look at Jean really Grey, Jean Grey and Professor X. Like these are the, the sort of modern corollaries to the characters in Scanners, right? I mean, that's what we're looking at when these guys are going to town on each other with their faces. <laughs> right. And and I feel like they Patrick Stewart uh, just has a better handle on it. I believe him more than I believe. I, uh, my, uh, Stephen uh, Lack looks like he's getting tickled most of the time. Like, what is going on with that guy? <laughs> I, uh, I, I think you're being a little hard on it, um, especially as a film that was kind of early in the the genre of people using telekinetic powers to do things yes yeah. uh, other than maybe carrie you know there i i and i'm sure there were some other b horrors and stuff that were that came out with similar things but the ones that i'm familiar with it's really carrie that came out before this where people are doing stuff with their minds and yeah. i don't think it's uh i don't know i don't think it's too much to ask your actors to do stuff that's big in context of of a story like this and in context of this particular story i thought it all worked really well and blending that with the sound design that we had and the music and everything else uh, i don't know i i really i i thought it was uh top notch stuff I, I think that it, uh, to, to my mind, this film is added to the catalog of films that have been overtaken by groupthink in the critical community. Like, I read the reviews, and most of the favorable reviews start with, yeah, everything in this movie is really dumb, but it's so good. And 
I just I, I struggle a little bit with that. I, I think that it's anchor around some really exceptional again for the for the age. I think the experimentation that they went through to get the exploding head and to get the uh, what they were termed the the micro effects in the final uh, cerebro duel. Uh, I thought were great. That was really fun. And the eyeballs exploding and the veins, the way the skin separated and the way they, the vessels blew uh, out of their faces. Like, I thought that was, that that was a real celebration of gore. And it was, uh, it, you know, it was goofy, but it was, it was great. Um, so anchoring around some really fun visual effects, the head exploding, knowing just reading up on how they did that, the kind of goo that they put in this scaffold of head and then shot it with a shotgun like that is a an amazing experiment experience on set to to make that work. And I thought it it looked great. It certainly served the the role. The human interaction with that, I thought, was goofy. Uh, casting of the central lead was a mess. And uh, Michael Ironside just danced around him diabolically in every single you know sequence uh I, I thought he was just you know really a lot of fun and none of that could offset what i thought was a little bit of a meandering poorly paced um kind of big brother industrial complex narrative that that didn't pay off well in the end for me well and there are definite elements of the story with that you know it, was, it wasn't uh, a clean uh, story that was put together by Cronenberg. You know, he was kind of working on it throughout the production, which, uh, you know, it, uh, it always it kind of makes it a little trickier for everyone involved. And it makes you less sure of if, if the project is going to actually turn out um, when it all comes to fruition in the end. And so, and there were issues with this. And that's something that I did struggle with, some of the world building. Uh, I, I, I had some confusion with some of the elements within, like, why is this, uh, you know, so the organization is making this drug to, to give to these people, but it, they also are now making new ones because they realized it would, you know, grow in their babies. Um, That's so just bananas. I, yeah, That's... so I felt like it was setting up some some tropes too that I was like, okay, these are like you know we got the whole you know we're you know we're brothers sort of thing that that we kind of come to. I'm like we're we're landing on some more of the kind of traditional I, I you know movie tropes that Cronenberg hadn't been dealing with quite as much beforehand. Um, and and to that end, I think that uh, you know there were some, like I said, some more issues with, and some of the storytelling things. Like, why do these people think that, okay, this bus that they were in is crash, you know, tips over and crashes into a record store. Why do they think it's going to be safe to go hide in the basement of the record store? Surely police or somebody's going to show up. It, it just, it seemed a little silly to me. Yeah. But in the end, just the way that the story unfolded and the way that these scanners work in this world of these scanners, I really just fell in love with. And so to that, I kind of agree with these people that, okay, there are some elements that don't work in this film, but it's, but I like it. And, and Stephen Lack, I, <laughs> I, I, I do agree. He was a little lackluster in context of the story. I had a much greater time watching Michael Ironside. Um, Lack, I, I don't think I had ever seen him before. And when the film first started, I was like, oh, this is a kind of a rough guy to pick as our lead actor that we're going to be following. And I was really kind of concerned that this is, you know, how we're kicking this whole thing off. Um, 
He is in I Dead Ringers, to, we should say. We're going to yeah, see him again. Yeah, so. Right. I grew to like him, though. I, I feel like once he kind of got into it and he had a mission and everything, I I was better off with him. But I really struggled with him for a while, especially opposite, you know, Patrick McGowan and Jennifer O'Neill and Michael Ironside, we already said. A lot of uh, people who were just better actors. But by the time I got to the ending, like, I was in it with him. I thought it was great. You were in it with him with the with the body switching, everything like that, that final like in terms of the narrative, how the powers a, manifest like this was yeah. one of the most sort of poorly unveiled set of extra sensory abilities that I that I can remember. It, it oh, just. Yeah, it's kind of bonkers. Like, why does he all of a sudden <laughs> take over his brain? I don't yeah. know. Like, has Revic ever done that? Because Revic, before their big was battle, the, he says... He's the all-powerful one. Yeah, and he says, his line is, I'm going to suck your brain dry. And so uh, so when we got to the end, I'm like, okay, so does that mean that that Cameron sucked Revic's brain dry? Is that what happens when you suck someone's brain dry? Or, or so, maybe Revic succeeded and just didn't know what the outcome would be, that he did suck his brain dry and, in fact, didn't realize he would be replaced. He would actually, yeah, he would suck it so dry that, that uh, Cameron that actually is it. That is over. The, I think it's, I haven't seen Scanners 2, but I'm almost sure they call it the dry suck. And that's what that is. It's a full... <laughs> The full replacement therapy. It's bonkers. You're you to use your word. It's just bonkers. And and I feel like your degree, the degree to which you you are able to enjoy this movie is the degree to which you are able to redeem the bonkersness of it. And uh, I I really enjoyed. I think we were we parted ways on the brood too in in different ways. I really enjoyed much more of the the sentiment. Of the brood and w- what they were doing, I think what what has emerged over time with what they were doing with the female characters, the mother character, the mother queen, and uh, I, I felt like n- I could peel away much less of that sort of heart and soul of this movie than I was able to with that movie. I had to really fight to forgive more of this movie. Um, well, and I find that so interesting because this movie, more so than uh, than any of his other horror films so far, I'll leave Fast Company out of the mix, but of the horror films, this one feels like he's just kind of doing a straight up, you know, yeah. B sci-fi movie. Like, that was what I found so interesting with this. I, I didn't feel like there was as much thematic exploration in here. You know, there wasn't as much uh, kind of this direct relationship to, to, to technology. There was this, it, obviously, it's a study of like this telekinetic powers and, and that element of kind of an uh, evolution within kind of humans and as far as this new power that they evolve but it just felt like more of kind of a straight up sci-fi b movie and maybe that's why i had so much fun with it because because without those messages which sometimes can feel a little uh you know uh pointed as far as the way that that cronenberg is kind of delivering them i feel like you know he's having fun with this one and i didn't feel like uh you know he needed to necessarily be as overt and just allowed himself to just kind of have fun. I, I that is an absolutely fair point, and I think from my experience with it, I need more of the former. Uh, and it, this just having fun, uh, maybe it's just not the kind of fun that I was able to connect to because I clearly am an outlier. You know, a lot of people love the fun of this movie, absolutely, and I don't begrudge any of that. Uh, I just didn't didn't connect with it. 
So here's uh, so do you feel like if you had just gone back and rewatched this without having gone back and started with other Cronenberg films in the context of this series, would you feel like you would have enjoyed it more because it wasn't in context of like the specifics of what you were looking for in a Cronenberg film now? Well, I have to uh, then I have to spoil Letterboxd a little bit um, because it was I'd obviously already rated this one in Letterboxd. And the first time around, it was a one and a half star for me. Uh, Oh, my. So I already didn't like it. (laughs) And and now I realize I I have a better sense. I think I've I've internalized uh, more deeply what I am starting to really appreciate about Cronenberg. And um, and and when he when he stops and has fun, I think I'm missing some of the head and the heart stuff that he I think actually does really well in in some of these other movies. So I'm I'm eager to rewatch some of the later films to see um, if he can bring some of that back. Interesting, interesting. In terms of the big questions, you know, we we've been talking about the big themes, and you said that you didn't feel like uh, this had, or am I interpreting that right? That you feel like this doesn't have as many of the the larger themes the that we've seen at play in some of these other films. Again, leaving Fast Company out, like we've we've talked about the the insular community, the big uh, mysterious organization, the medical complex, um, that that stuff. Does not feel so apparent. I, I feel well, like Consec is really the the analog for that. I I wasn't feeling like sure there are those story elements. I, I guess I was thinking of the themes as far as kind of you know just the nature of uh, kind of the whole body horror element, like uh, man and the relationship with technology, and how this search for scientific uh, you know scientific advancement leads to things and to that end okay i guess i guess some of it is in there um maybe maybe for me it's just it's done in a way where it doesn't feel as uh you know uh, i i don't know i i guess i struggle with it because it feels it feels like it's more fun whereas something like rabid where you have the kind of the plastic surgery where you're you're doing this technique that's going to turn these cells into this other organ yeah um uh, that feels like it's a very specific idea that he's kind of exploring and and where's the dark side of that um the same thing with uh with uh shivers and kind of the the nature of this this parasite that kind of changes people's you know mentality to become these sex crazed people um so i feel like there's an element in his horror that I don't know. I guess it's it's a darker tone to it, and maybe it's that they feel more like horror, and this one feels more just like a sci-fi. Maybe that's really where it is because I don't feel like this felt like horror to me at all. That's an interesting um, commentary too. I'm I'm with you. It feels like sci-fi with sci-fi thriller with elements of horror, Um, or I, I guess I'm maybe not even interpreting that right. That. That it's elements of of just sort of visceral image horror imagery, uh, yeah, effects, yeah, it's effects, effects, right? Work, I didn't I, yeah. feel I didn't feel threatened, uh, you know, at the same sort of emotional raw emotional level that I get with a great horror movie, and I so I feel like this movie kind of dances. This much feels much more like a dead zone to me, um, 
in, in sort of tone and, and pace. I do think that we do have some big thematic elements and see how Cronenberg has changed what he's putting his eye on. And this one definitely has moved to the, uh, the, the, mon- the monster of the institution, right? The threat of the mysterious institution. And this is 1981. This is the, the sort of birth of the military industrial complex, or I should say, this is the, the peak of the in- military industrial complex, right? This is when, uh, it, like we're, we're looking Looking at like we've created these human organizations that are so big that we no longer truly understand what they're doing. And that's the shadow organization that is allowed to emerge thanks to our lack of observation of it. Uh, and, and that's what CONSEC is. We never really understand what it is. Some giant military contractor, and they have their thumb on uh, a swath of humanity. They are they are playing at the at the genetic level with a large population and that feels like an evolution to me of Cronenberg's eye that we're moving from individual experimentation experimentation medical experimentation on individuals and small communities to uh, a much larger like can we do something to change what humanity is thanks to this shadow organization and I think this movie is a commentary on that it is a clumsy commentary on that but I think it's there I, yeah, and I think that that's an element that definitely is here. This whole idea of these shadow organizations, and we've talked about some really interesting films that deal with these shadow organizations of various genres. The one that immediately is coming to mind right now is the Parallax View, right? And right. that was a Terrific. really interesting shadow organization that was, you know, doing its own kind of political machinations. Here we have a, a similar one that is more of this contractor. But it is developing these scanners as a as a population to use and control. I, I you're right. I don't fully understand all the rules as to what they're trying to accomplish here. But uh, I, and again, like I said earlier, maybe it's I'm realizing I have this deep love for these kind of secret organizations. That uh, should I think if anything that worries me more about our relationship that either. <laughs> If we want to go to the next level, we either have to split up and not do this kind of stuff, or we've got to start a cult. Well, that might Honestly, be. That might be. I'm okay with that. <laughs> as long as it's not a midsummer type of cult. <laughs> it's time to jump off the cliff, Pete. <laughs> Those days are coming for all of us, Andy. <laughs> We're all going to have to cliff dive. Uh, I, uh, yeah, so, but I really like that. And I, I do struggle with some of the the elements that are in the context of the organization here but largely it is a really interesting element and yes i do think that that kind of does feel like it fits with kind of these these controlling organizations that cronenberg has had in some of his other films or just like you know the the scientists who are kind of at the core of this study and what they're trying to do with the tools that they are working on I guess that's really kind of that Cronenbergian element here. Part of the challenge that I have with this movie is the idea that we have uh, atmosphere over substance. And it, this gets us back to some of the visual effects, the whiz-bang visual effects work and the, the, uh, that, that sort of threat that we have in place um, physically uh, versus the the narrative impact of the story he's trying to tell. And uh, maybe it's a good time to talk a little bit about some of the challenges that he had getting it made. Do you want to talk about that? It was a difficult film for Cronenberg to make. His script wasn't quite finished, and he was trying to write it as he went along. And 
I think that made it uh, quite difficult. Just the scope of it, I think he had jumped a bit in in the scope. Because if you think about the previous stories, they, well, I mean, Rabid certainly, uh, that becomes an expansive story as we kind of dance through various areas of uh, uh, Montreal. Uh, but in this particular case, I don't know, maybe it is just the fact that it is this secret organization. And it feels like there are a lot more moving parts of story elements that need to be uh, all working to, in tandem to make the story work. Maybe that's the element where it felt like uh, he was kind of struggling to figure out how to tell a story with so many moving parts. Well, I think that's it. And one of the things that that come that has become more apparent, particularly toward the end, as he is writing, you know, sequences that they're going to shoot the next day. Certainly not the the first time we've heard stories like this. Certainly not the last. I'm sure. But one of the things that has become apparent is that it it feels like they he's there are instances where the easy way out is to write a fantastic atmospheric scene, and that comes at a cost of substance that is not fully fleshed out in the the overall sort of plotting of of the script and and that's one of the big challenges that I feel uh, that that is coming through clearly to me and and in some cases that atmosphere is enough, and in others you know it it's it's not. Uh, I, I would say the technology piece, the neural network, right? His neural network, your brain is just a network, says the doctor. And so is a computer. So you should make a <laughs> phone call and you can plug in. Now we're watching hackers, man. Like now that is com- completely off the rails, uh, that that climactic sequence. And that is a, a key example. And I, I don't know this for sure, but it just screams to me an atmospheric play over a uh, a substantive play. It was just bonkers. It was. I was a little perplexed that he was managing to connect his brain over the phone to a computer and uh, get the computer to shut down and get him the information, whatever it was that he was doing. I ended up writing some of that stuff off in context of the the kind of that B sci-fi genre that I felt he was working in. And I'm like, okay, some of that doesn't make sense, but I'm having a good time watching it. And this is where I think the film will end up falling short in conversations like this, where you're talking about it afterward, uh, where you're like, that does, there's, why, why is that any sort of logic? Like, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. In context of when you're sitting there watching the movie, it's like, oh, okay, uh, strange, but I'm going to go with it. And I, I think it gets harder and harder to buy into the more you talk about it. Again, though, to that point about uh, atmosphere, uh, applause to music and sound design. And effects people. I mean, everybody yeah. who was involved, I thought they were delivering like top-notch material. Yeah. It sounded great. It looked great. It was, uh, you know, I watched it on the big screen, but I had to have headphones because, you know, kids. And uh, I loved having it so close to my head. I love having just, it was, it, it just felt so um, evocative and rich. And and again, the atmospheric stuff, when paired with such, um, you know, brilliant production and sound design, it it does, it does play. Just don't think too hard about it. It's, yeah, it's, it's just, it's a little bonkers, uh, but yeah, I, I, thought, I don't know why I'm so forgiving of the issues that I had with this movie, but, but I really am. And this is one, and maybe it's just a first time sort of thing. You know, I just, I was struck by kind of the creativity of the film, even with the issues I had. 
Let me ask you a question about pacing. I, I said the pacing was a, a frustration to me, and part of that was, uh, you know, we have two, I think only two significant effect sequences. That's the head blow and the um, the the brain suck at the end, right? Depending on the types of effects you're talking about. I mean, when he, you know, taps into the computer and things are blowing up all over the place, I mean, there's obviously a little more physical effects rather than kind of yeah. the body effects. Yeah, so let's say I'm, I'm sticking with the body effects. Yeah. The head blow is, like, if you ask people who have a memory of this movie, that's the thing. Oh, it's the head blow movie? The the exploding head movie? Yeah, okay, I, I've seen Scanners, right? That's that's the thing that you sort of know. This, And I'm sure, I, I, I would hazard a guess that that's one of the things that you knew about this movie was the head blow. Yeah, that's what I yeah. said. It's like I knew yeah. this was the movie with exploding heads. Did it surprise you when the exploding head happened? No. Really? Yeah, because again, I mean, I went in thinking that there were a lot of exploding heads. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so any like, exploding oh, head is the first exploding head. To me, yeah, it right. really surprised me because my memory of the of the exploding head was that it was an anchor effect. And uh, it was actually a more interesting effect to me than the big battle at the end without with oh, the exception of the, the eyeballs popping. I thought that was really gross. Uh, <laughs> but, but in this one, I thought this was uh, – it, it was – tense it was in, in sort of incendiary it was it was great and it's so early in the movie and yeah it's like 10 minutes in right and and now i'm left with a lot of movie to watch until the next big thing like i'm really waiting for the third act to the next big thing and uh and so again not to pick apart the same issues but that i think is a problem with the movie that there aren't either they spent too much on the blowing up head and they should have gone with some more subdued, uh, you know, build to a bigger extreme effect sequence uh, with smaller effects. Right. And and we've seen him better pace his effects in prior movies uh, or uh, just give, uh, you know, I, I don't know. There is no or there is no or for me. They should well, have pay, better pace those uh, smaller effects to build up to something grand. I, I guess it depends on how into the movie you are. And clearly, because you weren't into the movie, that is what you were drawn to. I want right. to see the effects because that's the only reason I'm here. Whereas for me, like, I got into the movie. And so I was like, okay, the head explodes early on. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Uh, I'm sure we'll have more or something bigger as we go through. And I found the fight at the end to be much bigger, much grander. Uh, 100% worked for me. Um, and all of the elements that happened throughout the film that dealt with their telekinetic powers or their mind control powers, whatever we're calling it, just the scanner abilities, I found it all worked in context of the way that the story was unfolding. So throughout the rest of the film, it's not the effect scenes that we have, but it is like controlling someone's mind to do something, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, killing themselves or uh, having them break down because they think their mom is now here or or just getting a bloody nose because you know the a baby in, in a womb is is reading your mind or whatever it is i found all of those to be interesting aspects of what the scanners were doing throughout the film that didn't require effects and because i was in the story I didn't need the effects. Those all worked for me to get me through to that last big moment. But, you know, I would suggest that uh, part of the challenge is, we've, and, and you bring up an exceptional example with the baby scanning her uh, in the womb, uh, because that is an opportunity for uh, that that sort of 
threat, like building the environment and the mood of threat for one of our protagonist characters. And I did not feel that threat. And I think part of it is because uh, I guess that is one of the only moments in the film where I really got the sense that there were scanners out in the world that were out of control. And that we, you know, every other opportunity for to meet a scanner is um, either we're meeting a, a supposed bad guy in Michael Ironside in the beginning, or, you know, we're going to a scanner's house who's the artist and making faces, or we're doing that kind of thing. I, I would contrast this to a film like Body Snatchers, where you never quite know where the threat is coming from, and it's always growing, and it's always changing and evolving. And part of, I think, the challenge of this film is that the limitation on the scanner and the power of the scanner, that it's, there are 237 of them and uh we're stuck in a place where there are 237 of them and they have to breed new ones and so we're stuck in the gap where we don't quite know where the like we we know that there's more threat to come but we still feel kind of controlled and in a safe space uh like i feel like so much of what um you know vale was was doing was um you know he's just sort of wandering around the the universe kind of as a vagrant and then working for concept as as a as a freelancer i i never got a sense that out in the world there was any new evolving threat against him you mean just just the scanners coming for him yeah they're the scary stuff right i mean they're the whether they're working for concept or not so you didn't think that like when there were scanners coming for him at the artist's house like that didn't work for you they came with guns like they came, yeah. they were not coming to scan they were coming as goons yeah yeah right well, they scanner were goons and, yeah yeah and, and to that end i i agree with you like if there we should be having more scan offs but part of it is like i i don't know i guess in my head i'm like it's clear that cameron vale has a pretty high intense level of abilities. Yes. That uh, I think Revik is probably aware of because he's the only one who seems to know that this is his brother and they're probably on fairly equal footing as far as power. And so maybe he's sending these, these scanner goons to not attack him with their brains, but to just attack him because of the fact that his he will always win when it comes yeah. to attacks via the brain. I and see, right. and so things like that, like I found it easier to buy into because of the way that the story had set him up as this, you know, big potential guy. Yeah, but no, but I see again, that. but again, I do agree. There are story elements like if you know that a scanner is going to uh, going to use his power to scan you and and stop you quickly, you know, maybe. What you should do is have snipers with this, uh, what is it, ephemeral? Is that the drug? Yeah. Uh, you know, in dart guns, <laughs> like shoot him with yeah. darts. You know, there are things that you can do to stop him. Because like a, an example that was, I thought, pretty silly is when there was a point when somebody is is going to inject somebody. And uh, always the doctor when he's going to uh, inject uh, Revic when they when they stop him after he's blown the head up and the doctor takes so long like he knows who the uh, he doesn't know who this guy is but he knows that clearly he is a scanner because he's giving him a shot of ephemeral but he takes so long he's so lackadaisical about his injection it's like 
give it to him quick before he takes over your head, dude. Yes. Silly. One of the things that we... Uh, there's some wonderful camera work in all of these movies so far. Uh, Mark Irwin behind the camera on this one. Did you have that one great shot experience? It's hard to not focus on some of the effects shots just because they're so big. Like yeah. the poster that has always had like the Michael Ironside where his body is just like, you know, he's almost in like rigor mortis state as he's frozen in the scan battle at the end. That That's always been an iconic image from this film. But the thing that stuck out with me camera wise was some really interesting moments where the scanners were all like, you know, recognizing each other. And it was like these 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 centered close-ups of actors that would go and they were looking directly into the lens and the camera would dissolve very quickly from one to the next as if you know veil is controlling this guy and now he's controlling this guy and and just like the way that they intercut that stuff i found to be very effective so that is the thing that like camera wise i i thought that was a nice way to kind of put that together it's not a particular shot per se but i did like the way that they unfolded those Absolutely agree. I thought that was an interesting composition and an interesting choice to kind of convey. I, I kept, I, as a result of not really liking how, what they asked the actors to do with their faces to convey power, I, I was really fixated on, you know, what are the other elements that they're doing to convey this extrasensory ability, right? What are, what else are they doing? And I think moving control by way of these, cro these cross dissolves, I thought was really effective. I think that really worked for me, too. Absolutely agree on the Michael Ironside, um, you know, stiff shot. Uh, I think that's great. It works for great artwork. Clearly, they knew that was a, a hit of a shot, too, um, yeah. in the a home run in the um, in. The, the shooting, I think f for me, the the things that I uh, really sort of perseverate on the, the were just the straight up kind of three quarter shots of the effects sequences, right? The end when the eyeballs explode, uh, that was incredible. Or, you know, when the hand is up and there we get this wonderful shot as as Locke is um, or um, what's his name? Uh, Locke as Vale is uh, kind of protecting himself. And we see the way the skin just sort of bubbles off of his arm and off of his forehead. And same thing with Ironside across his face. That uh, I just can't get away from thinking about that as just a work of art and craftsmanship. And yeah, oh, horror. Yeah. But what they must go through to invent things that do that on screen. That was just incredible so um you know hats off to gary zeller and dennis pike and the team uh behind the the effects on this movie because it's uh, i found that part particularly moving all the effects it's just stunning stuff what they do here i mean it really just kind of blew me away um not just uh those guys that you mentioned but i mean everybody involved really i think dick smith mm -hmm. even came in and, and worked on yes to, yeah 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 you're right extent, a lot of great stuff that he uh, has always done but just like the bladder effects that they came up with to kind of pump to to pump this blood uh aka like the caro syrup into it to kind of fill these bladders and then kind of pop them and just have the people like tearing it off and just like uh i <laughs> it was it was so beautiful in all of its goriness, uh, just the way that that whole ending, like it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And, you know, then they're ripping their skin off and then they're uh, clawing at their their flesh and their eyeballs are exploding and just like setting on fire. And um, as their eyes roll back in their head and everything just got crazier and crazier. I'm like, this is insane. 
plus the sound design that paired with it uh, just beautifully. Like that was, I I thought, one of the just the most exciting endings I'd seen in a film in a while, just because it was like over the top, just B sci-fi movie, just insanity. I, I had so much fun with it. It was over the top. And again, I don't think we mentioned Howard Shore uh, is back again. I know we we mentioned the the music, but uh, just a name drop. He's back uh, on this one. And I, th- I thought it was a unique score, I particularly just from the very opening. Uh, it was it's still a young Howard Shore. And I, I really felt like he was he was playing. Uh, and I thought that was great. Yeah. And I think he fit well with kind of the sound design also. And yeah. that, that's a tricky thing to kind of find that balance of the sound design with the music and where where does it work as far as kind of unfolding, uh, you know, the way you want it to unfold. And so, uh, yeah, I thought he did a great job here. Cronenberg has kind of started building that team of people that he's continuing with. Uh, you know, I already mentioned Mark Irwin, but Ronald Sanders at the editing, Carol Spear, art direction, Delphine White, costume design. All of them have been on the last few films and are continuing with him. Uh, and will be um, for you know moving forward for a little bit, and so it's it's a great team of people that they that he has kind of started pooling around him to bring his vision to life. And it's I, I think if even if you're not enjoying the films per se, I think that what I find really uh, clear watching them is that this is a director who has a singular vision. And he's finding a team of people around him to help realize a very specific vision. And uh, I I really appreciate that. Well, you are a staunch defender. I'm glad you have this in your catalog now. I know that now that you've seen it and judging by your enthusiasm, you are going to race out and take in the rest of the scanners catalog. Yes, (laughs) I was tempted. (laughs) <laughs> not afraid to say um i cannot imagine that any of them are going to be that good but boy did they pique my curiosity just because i'm like i wonder where they're going to go with the story now i don't know secret societies there's something i have something crazy about it but yeah scanners 2 the new order 1991 and Scanners 3, The Takeover, 1992. Uh, let's see, Scanners 2 is directed by Christian Duguay, and uh, Scanners 3, The Takeover, uh, also by Christian Duguay. I'm not familiar with Christian Duguay's work. Another Canadian, though. Um, he did Screamers in 95, which I have seen. It's another odd little kind of cult sci-fi movie that kind of spurred on a whole series of sequels. So, Or maybe at least a sequel, I don't know. But anyway. Back to the uh, sequels and remakes here. So this one did have those two sequels. And then it had spinoff sequels, I guess is what they're calling them, because they're not direct sequels. And those were uh, Scanners, or Scanner Cop in 1994, <laughs> and Scanners The Showdown, which is also known as Scanner Cop 2. Uh, those were directed by Pierre David. So you've got four more ahead of you. I'm excited about this. I'm curious. I expect yeah. a full report. Yeah, this is you scanners know what the hell. The Let's showdown. put it on the schedule for next year. Let's just do, Let's a do it. Yeah, this is a, scanners the showdown. Uh, uh, a psychic police officer who searches for a serial killer who targets other psychics. That's it. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, feels kind of like what we just saw. I, yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious. Anyway, there was talk of a remake of this film directed by Darren Lynn uh, Bowsman, who directed Saw two, three, and four. 
He, this was back in 2007. He was set to direct it. Uh, David S. Goyer was hired to write the script. It was going to be released in 2008. Um, but it kind of uh, just the date came and went. Nothing happened. And uh, yeah, they, I, what Bozeman said is he said, I will not make the film without Cronenberg's approval. And Cronenberg uh, did not grant his approval. So I guess that's why that one failed. Um, that being said, uh, Dimension was actually planning to make a TV series out of this in 2011, um, but nothing's happened of that either. Uh, and then just a couple of years ago, 2017, the TV series concept has popped up, but uh, nothing serious has taken foot here. So, so who knows? Who knows if this one's going to end up uh, getting any more life? They but probably went an back and world. looked at looked at what they made Michael Ironside do to his face, and they're like, you know what? No. <laughs> Let's not make anybody else do that. Oh, you're so terrible. <laughs> How to do an award season. This was one that worked well for the uh, the sci-fi, fantasy, and horror uh, award markets. It had three wins, nine other nominations. At the Saturn Awards, Dick Smith won for Best Makeup, tying with uh, himself for Altered States. It won for the Best International Film, and Gary Zeller won... Oh, sorry, he he was nominated for Best Special Effects, but he lost to a small little movie called uh, Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, what are you going to do? Over at the Fantasporto, which is the International Fantasy Film Awards, David Cronenberg won Best Film. And in Canada, they had eight nominations at the Genie Awards. They didn't win a single one, which made me very curious about these movies. Uh, best Motion Picture, um, Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role, um, they lost to a movie called Ticket to Heaven. Oh, and best film editing. Haven't heard of Ticket to Heaven. Um, but I love uh, yeah. Saul Rubinek. Who, yeah, he was uh, he was in one. it. Uh, yeah. Michael Ironside did not win or did, was nominated for the best supporting actor. Cronenberg uh, was nominated for best direction. Lost to this other f- Canadian film called Les Plouffes, and also uh, Carol Spear art direction. Delphine White costume design lost to that film as well. Um, screenplay. Cronenberg lost to the film called Heartaches. And uh, this was an interesting one. Peter Burgess was nominated for Best Sound, uh, Best Overall Sound. He lost to Heavy Metal, which I thought was interesting. Heavy Metal? Yeah. I haven't seen that one, so I can't speak to it. But uh, for some reason, I I don't know why it struck me that uh, that film is the one that won when I feel like the sound design here was just so great. How to do the box office. Cronenberg's small successes proved that he can make profits, so yet again, Cronenberg got a larger budget, this time landing at just under $3.5 million, or $9.7 million in today's dollars. That's more than double what he had for his previous outing. Scanners opened January 14th, 1981, and had the weekend to itself. I don't think January was quite the dumping ground that it's seen uh, as today, either, as the film did go on to earn $14.2 million in North America, which is about $40.1 million in today's dollars. That gives it an adjusted profit per finished minute of almost $300,000. Pretty solid effort for this one. I wonder what movie actually made January... Like, what was the butterfly (laughs) flapping its wings that made January a dumping ground? That is a great question. Meet the clumps. (laughs) Uh, It'll be interesting to see where we go on this one, Andy, given our divergence. uh, But it's time to take it to the mat, shall we? Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll see all the movies we've talked about on this show. If you swipe over in your show notes or up or left or right, don't know where it is, but swipe. 
and tap on the word flick chart in the show notes. It should take you straight to this movie where you can add it to your catalog and see how it stacks up against ours. All right. First up, we have Scanners or the 1937 A Star is Born. A Star is Born. Scanners. <laughs> okay. This is going to be uh, like here we, this. Here we go. Here, here we, we go. go. One. One. Oh, wait, two. No, no. We have but, to do it with our brains. <laughs> oh, God. We just have to look at each other and try to do it. And then, okay, ready? Here yeah. we go. Ah, okay, I won. All right. That was easy. That's it. Do you know what? <laughs> I don't like that plan. That was A, a dumb plan, and B, stupid podcasting. We're doing it the old-fashioned way. <laughs> okay, here we go. One, One two, two, three. three papers. Oh, man, it's in the top half. Top half. Woo. All right, scanners or, ooh, this is a tough one. Raise the Red Lantern. Raise the Red Lantern. You're right, it was easy. I want to say scanners, but I'm going to say raise the Red Lantern. Excellent. Scanners or Mother. It is totally Mother. I see you backing away from the mic in thought. I'm going to say Mother. I I did have to think about it, but Uh Scanners or Thank You for Smoking. Thank you for smoking, Andy. (laughs) I will give you Thank You for Smoking. Even if you love this movie, it's fine, but you cannot. Yeah, you just can't. (laughs) Scanners or Creep Show. Oh, please. You first. Creep show. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Creep show. Oh, scanners are Mad Max. <laughs> okay. I'm feeling better. Mad Max. I mean, Mad Max, really. Uh, if it was the Road Warrior, I'd agree, but I'm going to say scanners. Oh, my. <laughs> uh. <sighs> okay. Here we go. All right. Here we go. One, One two, two, three. Scissors. Mad Max takes it. <laughs> Scanners or Star Trek Beyond? Star Trek Beyond. Oh, mm-hmm. I'll give you Star Trek Beyond. I really like that one. Mm-hmm. Scanners or The Lion in Winter? I'm going to say Scanners. Lion in Winter. <laughs> I thought I would ha- have this one. I didn't think you'd pick Lion in Winter. That's interesting. All right, here we go. Yeah. One, one, two. two. Three. Rock. Rock. Paper. Lion in Winter takes it. Scanners or Robin Hood, Ridley Scott's 2010 film. Absolutely Ridley Scott. Scanners. (laughs) My goodness. Andy. All right, here we go. Uh, All right, Uh ready? Mm -hmm. One, two, Two, three. three. Paper. Scissors. Uh, I'm sorry, Ridley. Well, that puts Scanners in spot 211 on our chart. 211 out of 423. So it's pretty much right in the middle. Uh, it's at uh, it's at a uh, 50%. So so what's it like with your uh, with Scanners being number one on your flick chart? <laughs> what's that world like? Scanners ended up at 439 out of 4220 on my chart. It's at a 90%. Wow. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. I want to go watch it again right now. I like I had so much fun with this movie. I want you to go watch it again. And I wa- <laughs> I think you should do that. And then we'll just do another show that's just all the regret. <laughs> I can't wait for that. Oh. This one ended up at uh, 1214 out of 1412 on my flick chart. That is at a 14%. Oh, oh, dear. Yeah, uh, parts in a yellow wood. 
I that that according to the algorithm, if I am to go by that for letterbox.com slash the next reel, this should be a half star uh, on my list. And you know what? I am in, in hindsight, I feel like I was really right uh, the first time I rated this film on Letterbox. It's it, there are some exceptionally fun things going on here that are tied to uh, a kind of an empty husk of a of a story. However, uh, I feel like you have made a noble and valiant case for the movie, so I'm going to boost it by a half star and go with a two star on this one. Two star, and is that with uh, with a heart for love? No, no, mm. no. So I so far I think it's uh, is it the only no Fast Company did not get a heart. So all right, yeah, Fast Company did not. Well, this uh, I I really really enjoyed this one uh, more than I ever would have expected, and uh, I I'm I do have some issues, and so it's not a it's not a five star film, uh, but it is four and a half with a heart. Four and a half stars. Andy, think of the children, generations hence, who are looking for stars for their own movies. What are they going to do when they say, Daddy, why can't I have a star for Return of the Jedi? And the dad has to say, because Andy took four and a half for that ridiculous scanners. Damn straight. Where do we go from here? We are going to be uh, moving a couple years forward in Cronenberg's filmography. We're going to be looking at his next film, which is the very interesting look into uh, into television, uh, Videodrome, 1983's uh, film with James Woods and uh, Debbie Harry. It's going to be an interesting (laughs) one to look at and discuss. James Woods. Oh, Mm -hmm. he's a delight. Do you know what? You ever have any sort of a gathering, a tea, a bris, invite James Woods. He's going to make it smart. Plus, he's got a video of VCR in his belly, so he can <laughs> play movies anywhere he goes. Well, when the movie ends, the conversation begins. Amazon giveth, Andy. As Amazon always doeth. Oh, dear. A lot of people like this movie. 62% (laughs) five-star reviews, Andy. My kind of people. Uh, I am going to claim the reins and go first because I have to end on a happy note. And so that will be your (laughs) one-star review. Did <laughs> uh, you see that? I see what you did. Oh, you. God. This one comes is a five star from uh, K. Uh, now I'm just going to say it. Co- cocaine. K. Cocaine. Cocaine. Yeah. Yeah. An edge of your seat thriller, and your is spelled U R. An edge of your seat thriller. Mm. This is another great thriller from the 80s, starring Michael Ironside. I loved this film because it has that what-if-this-could-happen factor. I know a lot of people hate 
science fiction. But this is a movie that has that creep factor. I think any movie made about individuals who have telekinetic powers is creepy. I would recommend this movie to any horror fan, and especially to all you sci-fi lovers out there. It has that shock factor, and it will make you think, what if it could happen? Thanks, Chris. What if it could there are happen? To so you? many. I think there are so many factors in this movie. Did you notice that? I really tried to lean in all the factors in this movie. <laughs> Andy, so many factors. The what if it could happen and the creep factor and then the shock factor. All of the factors. Those the three. That's what makes this a five star movie. So each That's factor. Not even one factor per star. That's a pretty no, good it's, it's more. ratio for. Yeah. <laughs> Right. The stars per factor ratio. All right. What do you got? Well, I make, got a one make star, it up to me. I got a one star by Casey who says, just don't. <laughs> Terrible movie. So much potential for how many people who said it was a classic and Lynch's best. I'm just really surprised <laughs> I didn't like it. Sing it, Casey. Oh. oh, Casey, I love me some of those weird David Lynch movies. <laughs> Casey's Bring it home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, Go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>